Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore this system as a unique map of our potential, from the mundane to the mystical. If you're looking to dive deeper into human design, join our Living Your Design Workshop. You can start the course at any time and participate in live meetings with John Cole and Amy Lee. For more information, go to courses.humandesigncollective.com. Today's guest is one of the most influential voices in human design. Linda Bennell began working and studying with Ra Uruhu in the late 90s and was one of the first to develop and teach a formal human design curriculum with him. Linda has pioneered many of the training methods and modalities used in the online programs today and is the author of the student and teacher editions of the Living Your Design books and co-author with Ra Uruhu of the definitive book of human design, The Science of Differentiation. As director of the International Human Design School, she works full-time to support and expand the community of students and professionals throughout the world, dedicating herself to preserving the human design system as taught by Ra. Today, she shares her perspective on the knowledge with us and how it has impacted her both personally and professionally. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, welcome, Linda. We're really excited to get to talk to you and have been wanting to have a conversation with you since we started. So we just want to hear a little bit about your story and how human design has lived in you and and then also about your work and everything you're doing, because clearly you're doing a lot in the world of human design. So we hoped maybe you could start by telling us something about what your life was like or what you were up to right before you came into human design or right before it found you. Okay. Well, thank you both for having me here. This is fun. I'm glad to be here. So let's see, it's been a while now. It was uh, 1999 when I think I first came in contact with human design and I had a career in the corporate world for most of my adult life. I kind of lived within that structure, but it got to a point where, where it was just impossible for me to continue that. Hmm. And I had, you know, looked into a lot of personal growth, spiritual modalities, different things that I was, I've always been interested in. And so I took a leave of absence from work. Actually, I think I met, I met human design before I took the leave of absence. It kind of overlapped. And then a friend of mine, she's a projector and a one, three, Judy, she said to me, she would always be, you know, investigating all these different things. She was very curious. Mm-hmm. And just, come on, you got to look at this. And, you know, and I said, no, no, I'm not in, you know, it was another thing. And I, I was kind mm-hmm. of done with all that. She said, but it sounds like you might like it. It's called human design. And little did I know, but I was really using my authority at that moment because I, I pushed it away. And I ended up pushing it away, you know, a couple of times. And then she came back again and asked me again. And then for some reason, who knows what was going on in my life at the time, probably something, probably just that feeling of I'm ready for a change. I said, okay, because Ra was going to be in town in San Diego and doing a talk. And she said, why don't you come to the talk with me? And I said, oh, okay. So we went, I went to the talk and I saw this funny little guy walk out with this funny little sort of magician's hat on, or uh, not a magician's hat, but kind of maybe, could call it that. And he just, you know, walked out and started his presentation using an overhead projector back in those days and just presented real basic stuff about human design. And I think he talked about the four types. I was fascinated because the whole thing was just so 
different than anything I'd ever heard of before. So that got me responding to that. And then he would travel to San Diego. He had some sponsors here and he would travel here to give some talks and things. So I started to get involved in that and then had a reading with him and his readings would just bring me to tears because it was first time in my life that I had been truly recognized. And it was like, oh my God, it just stunned me. So I had to know more. So I just jumped right in and started. We had an analyst program in Taos, New Mexico, and I got involved in that. And I traveled over to Taos, New Mexico to take classes with him and to Sedona. He was living in Sedona at the time, and I traveled there to take classes with him there. And I was so, I don't know, just obsessed with it. And I got every single thing that he ever published. And then I took the leave of absence. I remember sitting in my backyard during my leave of absence with all my human design stuff spread out on the table. And I was reading the white book cover to cover and the black, but we didn't have much back then. So I just dove right in and became an analyst. And then in 2001, he offered a teacher training in Germany. And so I flew over to Germany for 10 days and, and took his teacher training course and with a bunch of other human design people from back in you know, some of the original teachers. And then I began to teach and one thing led to another, <laughs> just kind of unfolded from there. I had a lot of students that were very hungry for human design and there was a huge demand on me to keep these classes going and I was kind of getting exhausted. And I realized that there wasn't anything in place that, because the structure of the education takes you through LYD, ABC, rape cartography, and then to analyst training. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't really a structure in place where people could, you know, go through those levels in a consistent way. There was no school, basically. Mm -hmm. There were random classes here and there that people could find and, and take. So I felt a lot of pressure because, well, not just pressure, but responsibility because these students had started with me and I wanted to make sure that they were able to continue. So I talked to Raw about it and I said, we really need some consistent school. I mean, he had his school, he had the International Human Design School and he would teach, but there was no consistent pattern to it. And then he decided that he would start an online school where we could develop a consistent pattern to the education. So you could look ahead and see, okay, if I take ABC now, I can take rape cartography next semester, then I can get in the analyst program and then I can take all these other classes and, you know, people can, it, he wanted it to be just like a regular university thinking in his mind and mine too, that this is a science and it deserves the status of a university type of, program to take people through the different education levels. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the beginning of all of it unfolding. Wow. So, yeah. Sounds like you dove in pretty deep right away. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. Um, in love. <laughs> <laughs> Completely and totally infatuated and in love with this body of knowledge. So it was yeah. incredible. Wow. And then it sounds also like you were part of of a very interactive process of 
creating structures that hadn't been there prior. Yeah, my memory isn't as good as it used to be, but I do remember that he had the International Human Design School and he was putting together his curriculum. And I remember asking him, can we also include the foundation courses in this? And he said, yes. And so we started to do that. And then one thing led to another. And at some point he asked me to be a Dean of the training academy. He had it broken up in different areas. And I responded, yes. I think that was in 2006. And so I basically put together all the curriculum for the training academy for him. And the pay was horrible, but (laughs) I was was in love with it. And I really wanted to be involved and do it. And then did really well. I mean, it just, people actually came. And that's what always surprised me. It's like, people are coming. This is great. This is good. People want it. And then in 2010, he's, he wanted me to take over the whole school, which I responded to and, and definitely got that going. Wow. Well, you bring up an interesting piece around something that I look at a lot with generators around work and as a generator, can you work for money? Or, I mean, it sounds like you're naming in part something about working for the love of the work. It never really interested me in working for the money. I mean, it was, it's always nice to be paid for your efforts, the energy you put out. And that's what I was doing in corporate, basically. It was a job to pay the bills and do whatever, you know, it was, you're basically working for the money because there's really not a lot of passion there. But with human design, it reversed. And it happened during my Uranus opposition, the node switched from the past to the future. And I, so the whole thing just happened. It was very interesting timing and all of that. So I was no longer working for the money and I was working for the love of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And it was a really totally different experience. Just having that sacral so involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling alive and engaged and love was there. And, you know, a lot of that during a lot of that time I had written the living your design books and I had written or rewritten the Living Your Design books and wrote the definitive book of human design. And then, you know, I was also teaching during that time. So it was a very, very busy time. I was probably working 14 hours a day every day. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, it was, it was intense. And I was also putting structure to programs that, you know, when Ra would teach, he would just talk and teach. Yeah. And I said, well, we, we need books to go with these. We need structure. We need uh, PowerPoint slides. Um, we need to get the teacher's tools so they can teach with, with things. And so it was, um, that was a big part of it, developing a lot of the teaching tools and structure to, to teach these courses. I was a busy girl. It sounds like it. Yeah. So in those early years, as you were diving in, I'm curious about what it felt like to have that recognition that you obviously felt from being seen and having readings and going through that early education. Did it have a big kind of altering effect on how you kind of were conducting your life? Or did it feel like it was just a natural opening of what was already true for you? 
were there aspects of it that really altered how you saw yourself or how you how you moved through the world? I was a real avid student of Roz and for people that have listened to a lot of his lectures, he was very good about, you know, teaching not to let to let any of this go to your head. He was concerned that teachers and analysts might get a superiority complex over their clients. I have knowledge about you, et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, I am your guru kind of thing. He was, he talked a lot about that in his trainings and I took it to heart. I never saw myself that way. When I was teaching, I was very transparent and authentic with my own life, my own struggles, my own experiments with human design. And I've never been comfortable with being put on a pedestal of any kind. As you probably notice, I'm not, I don't go out and talk in public a lot. I, this is the first time I've done public speaking in a long time. You know, I don't, I did a podcast maybe last year or earlier this year, maybe before the whole COVID thing happened, but I don't know. I, I, I guess I never felt like I was being recognized per se, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I guess it wasn't important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It w it wasn't a status thing. It was, it sounds like it was very natural that how it. Very natural. And I felt that there was work to do things that needed to happen to give human design what it deserved in the world. It deserved a definitive book about human design that was based on Ross teaching because there were other books that were being put out that were sort of manipulating the material a bit, not being exactly precise. And I felt that some of the authors were putting their own spin on things. And it was important to me that the knowledge was honored in its originality. And in my classes with Ra, I just gained a tremendous amount of respect for the knowledge. It's hard to put it to words. The knowledge the true meaning of the knowledge and what it is here for and how important it is not to change it from the original source because it has a purpose. You know, so some people will say, well, I don't like the term channel of struggle as an example, or genius to free, or some of these terms that's used in keynoting. And so they'll, they'll change them. They'll, you know, <laughs> give them new names and new, you know, it's like, in talking to Ra about these things, you know, he said, no, it's important to stay with the original name because it is going into their DNA in some way. It's going into their cells. Even if their mind doesn't like how that word sounds, yeah. the body is receiving it. And by trying to mentally manipulate it so that people can receive this better, then you're just diluting it. That's the word I wanted. And he knew that this would happen. And I'm a 4-1, fixed fate. I want to hold true to the original material. I think maybe he saw that in me and he trusted me with that. And I just want to honor his work and what the voice told him and just stay as true to that as I can, as for as long as I can. And surround myself with people, teachers, and, and others that at the IHDS that also consider that a really important part of our work. And they do. So I'm very fortunate <laughs> to have them. 
it seems like there is a certain frequency with the source, with the original, like you're saying, the original words, the language that was used, and that captures something. It captures a very specific frequency, and if those yeah. things become altered or changed, then so it's something. It's something else. You know, you could. Right. And that's exactly right. And he would, Ra would talk about um, fractals and how when we think about, you know, what happened when everything started and the Big Bang, if you will, and we had all these fractals sort of explode. And he would, he would talk about knowledge that similar to fractals, like you, when you're, you know, real tight to the fractal, it's pure. And the further it goes out, and then it's kind of like the telephone thing or yeah. you somebody tells you something and then that gets turned into something else and the next person hears it from the next person and so by the time you get all the way out there it's been diluted and it doesn't have the same potency you know it's just important to me that we try as best we can to maintain the same potency so that people have an opportunity if they're meant to you know if they're on the fractal to come and get it from the source at least we have a place where that can happen yeah that makes sense yeah i'm curious it, i mean you obviously have a gift for the structuring and organizing and, and working out the, the pattern of things did you have a background in education or teaching before all of this or is it just something that emerged as you saw the need for it and it just happened organically my personality son is the line of organization Okay. <laughs> so, so I wasn't ever trained. It's just my natural, my format uh, channel is the nine fifty two, and in the head sixty three four. So I'm just naturally organized in a linear way. So, and I have all kinds of other things too. There's a lot of abstract stuff going on as well. So, <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, I think it just it's just part of my design. Yeah. Has it felt like a challenge? I mean, well, first I want to say that I can just really recognize the value of having that original teaching held true to its form. I can see exactly what you're talking about for sure, where there's a lot of iterations of interpretation happening on all different levels. And it's been very powerful for me to get to access so much of Ra's original words and so much of the kind of guides and the, and the classes that are there that stay true to it so that I can interpret it for myself, for me. But right. to have access to that original teaching seems really important. Has it been hard to do? I just had a student get a hold of me last week. She said, well, just out of curiosity, I'm taking a class with so-and-so who's not a certified teacher. An IHS certified teacher, and and she tells me that the if you have a connection from the spleen to the throat, that you're a manifester, that that's a manifesting channel directly. And I said, well, actually, that's a that's a projector. And so she says, oh my gosh. And so she went back to this person and tried to talk to her, and and person immediately refunded her money and. You know, and the student came back to me and said, you know, I'm going to save up my money and take classes with the IHDS. I don't, I'm not going to take any more classes from people that aren't officially trained. And, and I thought, well, when things like that happen, it makes me feel like we're doing the right thing. 
you know, just because it makes me sad when people waste their money on things that aren't really correct. Yeah. What'd you ask me? <laughs> I was wondering if it's been hard to maintain that. I mean, it sounds like it's pretty natural and that there's a dedication there to the original form of the knowledge. Well, it gets hard when you have to deal with some people in the public that don't see the value in it. Mm-hmm. So then probably the, my least favorite part of my job is <laughs> to look at that, but I do the best I can. Yeah. Can you say more about what, what is your current role? What are you currently teaching? And I know you've written the definitive guide, which has become like a Bible to many people. And I know you're still, you're teaching, but can you tell us what do you actually 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 doing any teaching right now? I basically just do mainly administrative things to run the IHDS and the BG5 Business Institute. So those two things keep me pretty busy, but I taught for a long, long time. We have really good teachers now that picked up the the baton and are doing a great job. I'm a manifesting generator and I'm not very good at doing the same thing week after week, day after day. I like to get involved in new things, new and different things. And, you know, we're always working on getting this book out to the public and getting this done and, and exploring new classes, talking to teacher about teachers about teaching new things, you know, so we're always looking for ways to keep things fresh, keep things fresh and new, you know, so we, make changes and upgrades to the website to make it a more pleasant experience for students and teachers. And so I'm very involved in that. So I'm more behind the scenes now than I ever have been. And do you still do readings? Do you still meet with people? No, No, I refer people. We have a few analysts listed on the IHDS website. So I refer people there usually, but I get a lot of requests. I'm sure you do. (laughs) Yeah. In addition to establishing IHDS as a more formal education organization, how else did you see the system emerge or unfold or even evolve since 1999 when you first encountered it until today, but when Ra was still here as well? Well, when I first got involved in human design, the analyst education went from living your design, ABC, rave cartography, and then you were an analyst basically. What was happening from that is that it just wasn't enough for people to really embody the knowledge. They weren't in the education process long enough. And so he felt that it was really important that you're at least three and a half years into experimenting with human design before you become an analyst. That way you can embody what you're doing mm-hmm. rather than just sort of parroting what you've been told to say, you know, this is what this means. Repeat that to that person. It was pretty quick. He looked at it, I I wanna say, oh, when was it? It was probably 2003 when he redesigned the education system. Then he he had, you know, multiple levels of education. If you wanna become an analyst, there's four levels. But also keeping living or design ABC and rave cartography really for the general public. You know, if you're a father or a mother and that you just want to understand your children and you you want to understand yourself, your spouse, you know, the people around you, you can take those courses and get a really good start on digging in and discovering your strategy and authority and honoring your children's designs. And I remember, let's see, when was it? About three years ago, I went to Portugal 
because the definitive book had just come out in Portuguese. So I went to Portugal and met some phenomenal people and had a fantastic trip. And just the people that would come up to me and talk to me about how grateful they were for human design because it helped them and they helped their family. It helped them understand their children. These are not serious students wanting to get any certifications. These are mothers and fathers and family that really want to enrich their lives with their family. And that was probably the most meaningful thing of all for me is that happening, having children be understood. <laughs> Quite an amazing thing. It has evolved, I think, because we implemented better education so that the people that are in the courses that actually want to do this work, that want to help other people by understanding their designs, doing readings, doing some teaching, they're better educated. So the knowledge maintains its originality and its impact, which I think is what's important. And obviously it's working because, you know, this is a feedback that I'm getting from just regular people that I have another student that recently just said she's got a teenage daughter and oh my God, now she understands why she's a two, four generator and she's always, and she's a projector and she, how come I can't get my daughter motivated? She just, she won't do anything. She won't do anything. And then um, through human design and she's just taking the foundation courses, doing her own study work. She's came to an acceptance of her daughter and voila, her daughter responded to something and off she's, she's now doing some things that she really wants to do. So, you know, and I remember myself with my own children and putting pressure on my open ego son and trying to get him to do stuff, you know, or just getting an understanding of my daughter. Oh, this is, this is why she's the way she is. Okay, that's all right. I can understand that. I can respect that. I can, I can encourage that instead of fighting with it. So the education is important because we teach people how to properly share it with the world so it can have that kind of impact. So it's evolved in that way. So with a new education system, better trained teachers, better trained analysts, I can see the results of that. Yeah, the point you're making about just the impact that it can have on an individual's life, it's something that comes up a lot when I'm working with clients that I hear quite often like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known this 20 years ago. <laughs> and I, I, I had that experience personally when I encountered it. I was finding out what it meant to be a projector and then reflecting back and looking at my childhood, my upbringing. It's hard for me to even comprehend the difference this could have made in my life. And then there's the whole question of, you know, the information just comes to us when it comes to us and, and it came into the world when it came in the world. So what are we going to do about any of it anyway, but right. it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really right. something when you see that. that happen, you know, where when I was doing readings, you know, I would do a reading for somebody and you can kind of see that, I don't know, it's not really going in, you know, that's, mm -hmm. they're there, they're, they're getting the information, but they were really expecting something else. This is a long time ago, but maybe today it's different because more is available to people, but they would come back or I'd hear from them a year later and go, you know, I listened to that recording and I didn't get it then, but I get it now. We get it when we get it, right? Like with me in the beginning with Judy, no, I kept saying no. And then, then I said yes and changed my life. Yeah. 
That's been such a impactful part of it for me just to relax, <laughs> just to give me permission to just relax, trust in my own awareness, trust in the timing of things, be present enough to see what's happening and then deliver what I can and let go and trust that, you know, people are going to do what they do when the time is right for them. And there's something about it that I think like what you're naming with how it can really impact the way people relate just in their personal lives and to their families and the people closest to them. Where I came into human design from a lot of psychotherapy training, I didn't realize it until I found human design, but part of what was so difficult for me about that training was it was so pathological. And coming into human design and finding something that said exactly what you're talking about, like there is nothing wrong with you. There's really nothing wrong with exactly what you have. And even a lot of the experiences you've had there, there may not be anything wrong with that. It kind of reframed my whole life. I, Mm -hmm. I actually felt like going through the process of deconditioning and, and going deeper into the knowledge. I actually felt like my memories were almost reconstructing themselves. The way I saw everything just started to totally shift. And suddenly it was like, Oh, it's mm-hmm. not so bad. It's actually okay. I'm okay. Everything's okay. I'm a freak. I'm a little bit different. That's all right. <laughs> These certain <laughs> things are not my trip and that's okay. <laughs> it's good for somebody else. And that perspective that there's a place for each of us to just yeah. be exactly what we are is yeah. just such a huge gift. Hey, that's why Ra would always say, love yourself. He would sign every email, love yourself, Ra. That's what human design is all about. It's about helping people get to a place where they can actually accept who they are and really love who they are. And, you know, we live in a world where we want to compare everything all the time. And if we can't do this, we think something's wrong with us. We learn that all that's not necessary, just not necessary. I mean, I just remember after my reading on Raw, it was like, it's okay. You know, this is who I am. It's okay. I'm not broken. I, it's just how I'm thinking about it. I wouldn't want any other design. I love my design. Just very content in my body. I, I, in the beginning, I thought, no, I've got to be a manifester. I've manifested all my life. And he's like, no, you're not. You're a manifesting generator. You can manifest after you respond, but you're not a manifester. And then I thought being emotionally defined was a punishment. What do you mean? I have to wait. All my life I've been spontaneous with my open spleen. And, you know, getting into trouble all the time and having to backpedal out of it because I was saying yes before I, you know, saying yes because other people wanted me to, basically, mm-hmm. or I thought I should. And learning what it was like, what it really means to have emotional definition is a gift and I love it. So there's nothing like it, nothing like human design. Have you seen a gradual increase in terms of enrollment or just the numbers as we move? What I'm thinking about is we're heading into 2027. The world's obviously going through some big changes, you know, in our society. It seems that the stakes are getting higher in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering if there is a correlation in terms of what you're seeing in the human design community and in in the education? I'm seeing definitely more enrollment. 
a, a good indicator for me is book sales and in, in terms of the interest because you know for a long time it was just kind of steady flat and everything but it's really picked up quite a bit so I know that there's just a lot more interest and you can also tell by being out in the world and you can overhear conversations of people you don't even know they're talking yeah. about human design or mm -hmm. they find out you're involved somehow and oh yeah I had my reading da 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 you know and it's really getting out there. And I think from my experience, people right now really need something like human design to help them navigate what is going on in this world, to give them some comfort that they do have their own strategy and authority to use to guide them through all of this. It is a really strange world right now and probably will intensify before we actually get to 2027. Yeah. I'm thinking about a lecture I had heard from Ra talking about 2027 and this idea that, you know, in some ways, if to me, if you look back, this concept of inner authority is something that could seem like a sort of affront to things in the conditioned world or in society in general that are considered more normal than, than having an, an inner authority. But I'm thinking about the lecture where Rob was just talking about there potentially coming to be a time when you won't even be able to find an outer authority if you wanted to. You're not going to be able to find people and institutions and organizations that take responsibility. Now, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It really does. And and now it's it's resonating for me what you're saying, where it does seem like right now people are looking for like what do I hold on to? Things are disintegrating in front of me. What is there for me to hold on to? And I think inner authority is something that, and that sense of our own nature is, what else are we going to have as things shift so dramatically and, and disintegrate? Right. Yeah, the minute somebody presents themselves to you that they have all the answers, run, there's nobody that has all the answers. You have the answers for you. And your answer for you is completely different than my answer for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I loved hearing you frame it that as a manifesting generator, it's satisfying for you to get to move around and not always be doing the same thing. What areas of design are most exciting or, or interesting for you right now? Um, right now, just watching the growth and putting things in place that help people have easier access to human design. Ruth, Brendan, and I just put out a, a newcomer book. It's very, very affordable. And it's very simple, but it has important things in it. So whatever we can do to allow people entry, you know, they don't have to get a loan at a bank to do it, you know, to be able to come in and, and have things that are affordable and they can access it. And the most important thing is for people to access the, the knowledge, the information, and experiment with it, you know, get involved. Not everybody wants a deep education in color theory or, you know, all this other stuff that's available. Those kinds of things interest me quite a lot because I took all of those courses with Ra and it was fascinating, wonderful and everything. But that's not really the most fascinating thing to me right now. Fascinating thing to me is making things, you know, available to people and making sure that as many people hear about it and learn about it as, as possible. So I, I love that you're doing this podcast 
This is great. So many people are listening to podcasts now. They have the time and they have the desire. So glad yeah. you're doing it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We see a lot of people who ask, or we see a lot of the exchanges, like the exchanges that are happening on Facebook or clients or students that we've been working with. And they'll start to say, you know, well, you know, who can I talk to about being emotional or what kind of track should I go on or which teachers should I Mm -hmm. seek out? And part of us creating this was wanting to be able to give people access, not just to written material, but also to get to hear people's voices and frequencies and stories. And so that you could find out if you want to know what IHDS is about, or if you want to know what this or that teacher's perspective is, or you want to hear from this type of design, you can actually have a a different kind of interaction with it. And then you can see how you respond or you can see what resonates for you. Yeah. I think it's very important to have rice call it communion to, to talk and to share your outer authority with others to just discuss it because telling somebody go out and experiment with your design is one thing, but when you have people around you that can share their experiences, it helps to embrace it fully. Like I remember when I was first involved in human design, we didn't have this. We didn't have any of this. And I contacted somebody and said, would you be my coach? Cause she had been through the training she was before me. Back then it was just emails back and forth. If I had a question about something, at least I had somebody I could ask a question, right? right? Yeah. But we have so much more of that now. But it's so important that people share their experiences with human design. Talk about what it's like for you to be the projector that you are, because there are so many different configurations for projectors. Mm-hmm. You know, what's it like for you? You know, then you add to that mental projector, five, one sitting next to you could be a ego projector who's a one, three, or, you know, I mean, there's so many different variations that, and then when you're, when you are studying it to to take it more seriously, professionally, it's good for you to understand all these different ways that these different configurations can express, can be experienced and can be lived. And we don't know that. And unless we talk and share. Yeah. And that's what I love about this. This is just fantastic. And important to make sure that it's, we put information out that that's correct. It's not misleading somehow or sending somebody down the wrong path. You know what I mean? Yeah. Good to share experiences. That's what I used to do a lot in my classes. My classes were not just lectures. They were very interactive and getting students to talk about their experiences and so that we can all learn from each other. What's it like to be your type of projector or your type of generator? You know, what does a SAC response feel like to you? I think it's another way of kind of taking it out of the head and into more of an embodied experience of the knowledge or of what we're working with. I see it again and again that if if it remains up here in the head, it is intellectually interesting as and fascinating as the system is. I don't feel like there's a lot of traction there. It doesn't. It's just another curiosity at best or something. It's interesting, but does it actually result in uh, a different experience in one's life? And I think for that, it has to be somehow embodied, whether it's through sharing or exchange or mm-hmm. or just living it in some way. It's an experiential thing. It's nothing more. I mean, that's what it is. 
you know, that's why from the very, I mean, how many times do you think Ross said, use your strategy and authority? How many times? <laughs> he must have said that millions of times. <laughs> I was listening to a lecture that he did in the late 80s, and he was saying the same thing he was saying, you know, most recently. So, yeah, it's, it's about the experience. And the information is very interesting, and it's fascinating, and it's useful. But it can't stay in your head. It has to, because we're talking about body consciousness. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the innate ability for your body to be your compass in life. And if all you're doing is thinking about it and you're continuing to make decisions from your mind, you're missing the point. I feel like in working with people, especially people who, most people at the end of, a, or a lot of people at the end of a reading will say to me, well, what's next? Like, I think they have that feeling like you were talking about of like, I don't, I can't just go out into the world with this by myself. Like I'm going to need a hand to hold, or I'm going to need somebody to talk to somewhere along the way. And it seems like there comes a point where everybody hits this sort of crossroads where you're going to actually really feel the difference between what your mind wants to do and what your body is saying or what that intelligence in you or inner authority in you is saying. Have there been pivotal moments for you like that where sort of the rubber met the road? And, and Yeah, I mean, I, I remember having a complete sort of breakdown. I was about three and a half years into the deconditioning process and there was some triggering event and I was, I was working with my partner at the time and, and it wasn't human design necessarily related, but I was also doing that work too. I just, I don't know, it was a moment. And I, I took the keys to my office and I handed them over to this guy. And I said, the job is yours. Bye. I'm out of here. And I went home and cried for about three days. I don't know. I can't really describe it, but it was, you know, they say in order to break through, you got to break down. Mm-hmm. And that I think that was a breakdown for me. And I just poured myself into human design after that. Then I did it full time. That was the moment when I just said, okay, this is, I got to, I got to do this. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I did. So, yeah. And, and I remember too, you know, in the early, in, in the early time where I heard the phrase experiment with your strategy and authority over and over and over again. And I was being told you have emotional authority. And I had no idea what that meant at all. Or you're here to respond. I, I don't know what that means. So I would make a point to get up that morning and say, all right, I am not going to do anything today spontaneously. And I, this is a mental decision. And I'm not going to do anything today unless I respond period. I'm not going to answer the phone because I think I should, blah, blah, blah. And I went through my whole day just honoring my sacral, like whenever my body wanted to go in the kitchen and do the dishes, I did. Whenever my body wanted to go, you know, do this or do that. It was less about pre-planning things with my mind and it was more about, okay, let's just be present to what your body wants to do. And that was really helpful. And I also made a mental decision not to answer my phone anymore and just let the machine get it. 
Uh, back then we had machines and then listen to what the person wanted and then get in my body and feel, do I want to do that? Do, how do I respond to that? You know, and go through my wave about it. And that was so different than what I was before. I did things because I thought I should, I should do the dishes now. I should do this. I should do that. And if somebody wanted something from me, I did it because they wanted it and without any regard to what I wanted. So I think it takes a conscious effort on part of, on the part of the person entering the experiment to fully engage in it and make mistakes, get involved. So, I love that you're mentioning the day-to-day things because it yeah. seems like so many people will come to some, to a teaching like this when there's crisis or when there are big things going on in life. And it seems like when we're talking about embodiment, we're talking about response and emotionality and any aspect of design, really, that it's probably the one of the best ways to step into it. Just start with it's, the little it's, things. It's tricky in the beginning because, you know, we're so used to living from our mind. We're not used to living from body consciousness. We're just not used to it. And so that's why a lot of people go, what do I do now? How do I begin? So having conversations like this on a podcast or in a study group or whatever will give people ideas of how they could possibly start their own experiment, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, that's the way she did it. Let me try that. I'm responding to that. I'm hearing what she's saying. And it's like, okay, I could do that. I could do the dishes when I feel like it instead of doing it because I think I have to before I go to bed because I want to wake up in the morning with a clean kitchen and <laughs> tell the story we tell ourselves. You know, it's like, hey, what will it feel like to wake up to dirty dishes? You know, I don't know. Simple, silly things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then one of the other hard things for me was to not be uh, reactive emotionally or spontaneous with an open spleen because I want, and I'm a triple split manifesting generator. Patience has been very, very difficult for me. So for me to finally get to the point of peace with that has been incredible, just incredible. And then understanding that the emotional authority is not a punishment. It's not hard to do. It's actually a gift that if you're presented with a decision, for me, how it works now is, you know, the ask is presented or the conflict or whatever it might be, whatever it is that I'm going to be responding to. And I will just let the wave do its thing and sit there in my feelings and say, well, how do I feel about this? And if I'm not clear, don't do anything. Mm -hmm. If I'm not clear, it's not time. I can tell you that I would probably say 90% of the time, the decision that I'm waiting to get clear on becomes self-evident. And there was no decision that had to be made. Either the person comes back and says something to have closure there, or, you know, it just, it's like, oh, okay, I got it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't have to decide. You know, it just, it happens. It seems like there's a lot less to do in all of this than we think <laughs> that there is in a lot of deconditioning. <laughs> it's just, right. 
just to stop, <laughs> just let go, don't, you know, just wait or whatever it is. And yeah. it takes care of itself yeah. often. It really does. Seems to anyway. <laughs> is there anything else you'd, you'd want to, since we have you here and people are getting to hear your voice, I feel like it, it's a real benefit to actually just get to hear from you directly. Is there anything else you want to say or share or that you want people to know or... Gosh, uh, congratulations that you're listening to this podcast, that you're taking in this information, that you're hopefully on this journey of experimenting with your strategy and authority. It is the most life-changing thing that you could ever do and the most liberating thing that you can do for yourself and for the people that you have in your circle in your life, the people that you love and just respecting everybody for their own strategy and authority without making, you know, there's no more manipulating people to do stuff or to, there's no rejection. There's no, if somebody doesn't want to do something, that's just their truth and celebrate their truth, you know, and not take it any other way because the mind will step in and say, oh, no, it's just celebrate their truth. Let's celebrate each other in living correctly according to our strategy and authority and help one another you know in terms of of encouraging the experiment of strategy and authority when somebody comes to you for advice or to ask you a question what should i do encourage them to follow their strategy and authority even if it might be a mistake you've learned something right if you just do what you're compelled to do and then examine it later and say, okay, that was truly a separate response or, oh, I did that because blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You know, just, but don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah. It's an experiment. So that's what I would tell people that that's the heart and soul of human design is just engage it, discover yourself through, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but there's so much truth to it. Discover yourself through the experiment of your strategy and authority. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Linda. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. For more information about us and to connect with others on this experimental journey, please visit us at humandesigncollective.com. You can also learn more by exploring our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast, courtesy of Role Model. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for more upcoming episodes on the same channel. 